1: you mm-hmm.
2: Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Basketball Podcast. It is Friday, October 28th, 2016, otherwise known as National Chocolate Day. I'm joined by Shannon McEwen and Ben Miller making his first appearance on the Roadwire Podcast. Ben is an NBA writer for us. Uh, This podcast is available on iTunes and Stitcher. Feel free to leave a nice. Review on one of those venues, you can also download and listen to this podcast directly on the roadwire website itself or on audio boom today we 're going to be talking about traditionally as we have in years past we 're going to be breaking down the friday dfs slate we 're going to be hoping to get this out early morning friday um, we we 've taken in the first three days of the season ready to jump into the dfs landscape we 're going over a little top news some broader topics. Some season-long pickups. It's really tough, but we have seen every team play at least one game so far. Um, so we'll try to dive into that, but it's kind of evolving and a changing thing. So so we'll, we'll give a few names to look at. Without further ado, let's break into the breaking news so far. Derek Favors, questionable for Friday against the Lakers with a sore left knee. Did not play in the opener. Certainly, waiting for him to make his 2016 2017 debut. If he does not play, Shannon, are you going to be giving a little added looks at um, who will? Uh, let me just leave it open. I don't want to sway your sway your answer here. Who will? You well, be he at? he sat out on Tuesday night as well, so I was all over Trey
3: Lyles. That really didn't work. Trey Lyles only had 18 minutes. And Utah pretty much went small. I mean, Joe Johnson had a big night. Rodney Hood had a big night. So those are actually
2: the two guys I'm looking at again for tonight. I, Trey Lyles is a little overrated to me at this point. I know like you and James are all over him, and James is all over every prospect, but I think that we need to hold off on the Trey Lyles stock. I, I will admit, I like Trey Lyles a
3: lot as a prospect. I don't think he's going to be much this year as far as fantasy goes. Like Occasionally, he'll have a good DFS night, but... I think he's a couple of years away from
2: being a true fantasy impact player, you know, top 100 type. Right. And it, maybe if they didn't bring in somebody like Boris Diaw, he he could make that jump faster this year. But Diaw's there. He's so reliable. I mean, when it comes to crunch time, you're going to be rolling with Diaw. You're not going to be putting Lyles out there, right? I don't know. Diaw didn't get much run in the first. Well, actually, I'm
3: sorry. He did get a lot of run. He just didn't do much with it. He played 32 minutes, but he's one for eight from the floor. So he had two points, three rebounds, no dimes, which, you know, the assist are a big part of his game and his production from a fantasy standpoint. And I I don't believe diao's a in like a big time enough player. He doesn't he doesn't produce enough to stave off Trey Lyles long term. In the immediate future, sure. But later on in the season, if there's a situation, I see a lot of those minutes
2: Diao played on Tuesday going to Lyles. First round of the playoffs, let's say Jazz are you know uh, a six seed. They're going up against a three seed of Clippers. Jazz steal a game. We're talking six game, down to crunch time. Favors gets hurt or something like that. You cannot tell me they're going to put Lyles on the court. I think, As opposed to Diao, who has so much playoff experience. I believe... That if the Jazz
3: are that good and they're making a serious playoff push, you know, they're pushing for the four or five seed like a lot of people believe they will, it's because Trey Lyles has stepped up
2: his game this year, not because Diao's a big factor for them. All right, fair enough. We're going to be talking about these Jazz a little later on in the show. Until I see it from Trey Lyles, I won't believe it. Uh, over in Cleveland, the hotbed of the sports sports world as it seems. Coach Tyron Lue said Iman Schumpert with his concussion has a great chance of playing in Friday's game against the Raptors. Terms of fantasy, we'll keep it moving. Uh, Celtics coach Brad Stevens said Wednesday that Kelly Olynyk, with his shoulder injury remains a couple weeks away from returning to the court. Now Shannon, I saw in our staff keeper league, Kelly Olynyk was dropped early this morning. In a keeper league it seems very odd to get rid of somebody like O'Linick, or are we at the point in his career where we can say, you know what, we just haven't seen enough of him, as opposed to somebody like Trey Lyles, where there's still a lot of hope? That's a pretty deep keeper league, too. I think it's a mistake to drop him. Um,
3: I'm not sure if they had a really good minor league player, D league player to promote, uh, but I wouldn't drop him in a league like that. Uh, standard leagues, yes. He, he, I'm kicking him to the curb.
2: Uh, I don't think he's going to have much of an impact for the Celtics this year. All right, on this next bit of news, we'll come to you, Ben, because I'm talking about a fellow Ben, so I just assume you guys are all in a club together. Uh, Sixers CEO Scott O'Neill said that Ben Simmons, uh, rookie Ben Simmons out of LSU, playing for the Sixers with his foot issue, will return at some point this season. We've heard that maybe his club or his crew doesn't want him to return this season. Are you buying in, though, Ben? Would you say if you're in a league right now, obviously it probably needs to be somewhat of a deep league. Are you going to waste, not waste, but use a roster spot and hope that he returns at some point this season? And then when he does, he'll just be as good as we think he is? Or are you just going to hold off entirely?
1: Um, I, I think I'd definitely hold off for now. Um, I, I don't think, I mean, it's going to be a real long time till he comes back. Um, you know, if I'm the Sixers, obviously, at some point I'd love to have him back. It'd, it'd be good to get a guy, you know, um, some extra development. Obviously, you'll sell some more tickets, too, uh, bringing Simmons back. Um, but, yeah, in, in terms of fantasy, it's not a guy I'd really want to, you know, waste a spot on for so long. Right. I mean, if he comes
3: back, it's not going to be until, like, March, right? So with March, I mean, March in mind, that's pretty much the end of the fantasy season. I mean, fantasy hoops leagues right. are starting their playoffs in March a lot of times.
2: so. I'm not holding on to him that long. (laughs) See, the thing is, when he comes back, he's the man. And I don't think anybody would argue that if he's playing 35 minutes a game, he's a triple-double candidate because he's already one of the better passers in the league. And so, I mean, there's a lot of upside value here. I can see certainly an IR spot, but, I mean, we're in a 20-team league, Shannon. Oh, all three of us. We're in this 20-team league in the office. He is rostered right now. Do you think it makes sense for that person to keep him in a league that size at least? In that league, yes, it's weekly moves. You have four or five bench spots. There's
3: no one good on the waiver wire. I mean, there's absolutely no one to pick up. So in that league, yeah, sure, it makes sense. My worry about it, though, in most leagues, especially head-to-head, where you don't have deep benches, is just the fact, if he comes back in mid-March, you're looking at maybe a... Two one to two week stretch at the beginning of that where they're being cautious. He's not rolling. He's not going to be out there for thirty five minutes a game. You know he's going to play. Start off playing twenty minutes a game and slowly ramp up. And in all likelihood, we won't see him actually go full bore until the last week of the season or something along those lines. I'm not. I'm not that patient.
2: Yeah. Fair enough. I, I think I tend to agree. I, all three of us are in agreement. that We're just going to stay away unless you're in a very deep format where. You look at the waiver wire, and it's just, it's absolutely barren. But that said, this is the same team that kept Joel Embiid out two full years. So why wouldn't they be extremely cautious with arguably the best prospect they've brought in during this whole? "Quote unquote process." All right, let's go a little more broadly. Like I said, we've seen every single team play at least one game so far this season. So let's just dive. Let's just jump into it. Let's just make assumptions. Let's do it. Let's go head over heels and analyze this way too far. Ben, are the Spurs the best team in the
1: NBA? I mean, at this point they might as well be. I mean, you, you the <laughs> one game in, um, the Warriors come in. Most people think they're going to be, you know, people think the season's over at this point. They're like, oh, you know, the Warriors got Kevin Durant. Um, it's over. Um, but, yeah, with the Spurs, they come out, they blow them out. Um, I don't see why there's any reason not to pick the Spurs at this point. I mean, Kawhi Leonard, um, he looked unreal. Um, two games in, they didn't look that great against the Kings, obviously. Um, but, yeah, I think they're showing against the Warriors really Um you know pushes them to the top at the start of the year I yeah and I think
2: the Spurs are the number one contender in the West going up against the Warriors and the Warriors laid an absolute leg you can say it's the first game of the season but this matters I mean this was the the major contender and they laid an absolute egg that being said Shannon I think that the Warriors are going to absolutely destroy their next three or four opponents because they were embarrassed the Spurs are not the best team in the NBA. But right now? No. Right now? No. How could, how We have no other way to quantify it except for head-to-head matchups, and we saw a head-to-head matchup, and it wasn't even close. He, here's the thing. That when the
3: Miami Heat brought in Chris Bosh and LeBron James and they had the super team, they started that season like 10-10. and 10. There's always going to be... This initial rough patch for any team. You're, you're building team chemistry, everything else. I remember preaching the same thing that year. Like, don't panic. The team's going to be fine, and they ended up being fine. They went to the finals. They lost in the finals that year, but then what? They won two championships, back to back championships. After that, this team's going to be fine. They are the best team. The Warriors are the best team in the NBA. The Spurs are nice. Spurs are Spurs v- are nice. The okay. Spurs are a, a well coached team. They will always be really good. You could, they could trade Kawhi Leonard, who's legit top five MVP this year. Uh, they could trade him for five foreign dudes that no one's ever heard of, and they'll probably still win fifty games. I mean, Tony Parker has looked like garbage on fire. These first two games, and it doesn't matter. Like, they don't have a point guard, and it doesn't matter. They still look really good. They'll probably win 65 plus games this season, but they're not the best team in the NBA. The Warriors are the best team.
2: I'll believe it when I see it. The next time they play, that is. Uh, we talked about Kawhi Leonard. Let's keep talking about him. You said he's a top five MVP candidate, but right now, he is easily the front runner because um, propelled his Spurs to a win over the big and the bad Warriors. But more importantly, he only had four games of 30-plus points last season. He's already played two games, and in each of those two games, he has at least 30 points or more. I mean, he's showing us what he we've been wanting to see out of him for quite some time, and that's being able to take the ball and score at will. I'm seeing a lot more mid-range and elbow jumpers from Kawhi, and he's absolutely draining them. Right now, Shannon, Come on, at least give me this. He has to be the front runner for MVP as of right now. It, only like four
3: teams on, in the NBA have played two games. He's played twice as many games as most other guys <laughs> in the NBA. So yes, sure. Sure, he is the front runner for MVP right now. If the Spurs continue the streak they're on right now and they go 82 and 0, Kawhi Leonard will win the MVP. But I mean no, I mean Give me give me more games. Let's talk about it in, in a month or so and see where things stand. I think he'll still be in the discussion and possibly the favorite, but I'm not going to anoint him the MVP after two games.
2: All right. One thing I will say is that the NBA media and NBA in general likes to anoint the next up-and-comer. And obviously Kawhi Leonard winning defensive player of the year the last two years in the, a row – is something, Uh, granted. But we're always looking to anoint the next best player, and I think if he has a a solid season that's anywhere close to what he's been doing offensively to start out, obviously I don't think he's going to sustain this, but I don't think the media would have any problem anointing him the next newest MVP over somebody like a Kevin Durant, a Steph Curry, even a LeBron James. If they have career averages, which still would probably be better than Kawhi's numbers, we're always looking for the new best and brightest. That's true. And I'm I'm actually I'm pulling up the
3: voting results for the for the MVP um, from last year. See where Kawhi Leonard finished. And it was second behind Curry. He was second in the voting for MVP. So us saying, you know, he's the MVP favorite right now. He's a top five MVP guy. It's obvious. I mean, he already was last year. He's already
2: there. He's already the next big thing. He was last season. All right, Ben. What's the most surprising thing, other obviously than other than the Warriors getting their face kicked in uh, against the Spurs? This happened so far this season. Again, we're going to overreact. We're just going to jump into it. A lot of interesting things have happened, but according to you, what's the most surprising thing that's happened during the first three games of this NBA season?
1: Um, uh, I do like what Miles Turner did um, for the Pacers. Um, You know, that thirty points, sixteen rebounds. Um, couple steals, four blocks. Um, you know, you think he'll be able to. He should be able to continue to do what he's doing. Um, you know, as long as Monta Ellis doesn't just start jacking up shots like uh, like he's used to. Um, it, you know, it actually gives me a good laugh because you look back at the 2015 um, draft and you got um, Julia Okafor up the, up at the top, um, but guys like Emmanuel Mudiay, Stanley Johnson, Justice Winslow, uh, Turner, Booker, they're all um, they're all performing pretty well. Um, So, um, yeah, I I think Turner's a pretty surprising um, guy. I I guess points-wise, I I didn't see him breaking out for 30 right off the bat. I mean, you see the rebounds and the blocks potentially, but... Um, yeah uh, the points were definitely a big surprise for me yeah when he was drafted he was considered a project I mean right like right
2: after his name was read they went to the analysts and they're like this is going to be a long-term project guy and so nobody expected what he did last year and he's showing that I mean he's progressing just as fast as any of the rookies you just mentioned Ben and I I agree for me that's one of the most surprising things considering that everybody was on the same page thinking that it would take a few years he's proven everybody wrong
3: yeah and he was he was a Big sleeper pick this year. A lot of people liked him. I know uh, some of my expert friends were picking him in the top fifty picks of drafts. Wow. I wasn't on him. I actually I thought it was going to be a little bit longer. I thought he was going to see a repeat of last year where, yeah, sure he's starting this year, but he's still going to have, uh, he's going to have his ups and downs. He's going to get yanked out of games early if he goes out there and jacks up a bunch of shots and misses because he doesn't he doesn't play near the rim like most big men, um, but. I don't think that's going to be the case. I mean, the one one game, one game overreaction. My mind's changed. I've done a one eighty on Miles Turner, and that's all I, it takes. Yeah, for that's you. all. It t- I mean, it was such a monster game, and it, it's mostly. I mean, thirty points is nice. He caught fire. He shot like seventy percent that game. But it's the sixteen rebounds and the defensive stats that I really love. I, I, I'm buying them, man. I, I love it.
2: Yeah, Ben brought up a good point in that they have Paul George on the team. They've got newly Jeff Teague, newly to Jeff Teague. Monty Ellis is always can be an issue. Rodney Thad Stuckey. Young. Yeah, Thad Young. Rodney Stuckey coming in the bench. Stuckey is not shy to just own that second-team offense. And so there are a lot of other players that they might rely on when it comes to crunch time. And the big thing for me in not being able to just – you know, throw caution into the wind and jump into Miles Turner like you are, Shannon. Is that defensively? I'm just not so certain that he's going to be solid throughout the year, where he can't, he's not going to get yanked at portions. Granted, he can maybe go out there and get a bucket just as good as any of the others guys, any of these other guys that we just mentioned. But defensively, I think he might get yanked out of the game. You mean as far as like missing defensive assignments, things like that? The X's and O's of it that none of us really understand exactly. that part of it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I think that that could be it. So most surprising thing for me, I would probably say, is that last night against the Celtics, uh, Dwayne Wade, Rajon Rondo, and uh, Butler combined to go 9-for-14 from beyond the arc. Now coming into this season, we said this is a terribly constructed team. You compile three essentially guards who have never really been able to shoot from beyond the arc. Right off the bat, it didn't even take... You know, ten, twenty games. It took one game and really only one half to prove that these guys are so good they can do whatever they want, and maybe they just the teams that they have played on in the past just didn't necessitate them to take threes. But nine from fourteen from beyond the arc. Can we just go ahead and put that argument to bed that this is a terribly constructed team? I'm going to hop in here first, Ben.
3: Uh, n- no, we can't put that argument to bed. I mean, the big surprise was Dwayne Wade. And he went four for six from downtown. This guy hit seven three-pointers all of last season. He shot 16 percent from downtown. He's not a good three-point shooter. His career high is 1.1 three-pointers per game, and that was a decade ago. There's no way he's all of a sudden evolved at this, you know 35-year-old, 35-age season that he's all of a sudden evolved into a knockdown three-point shooter. I just don't buy it. He's only top three three-pointers twice in the past two seasons, once in a playoff game last year and then one time during a regular regular season game in 2014 2015. those are only two times in the past two seasons. I need to see it more. If he goes out there, I don't and not just a two or three game stretch, but if it's like a 10 game stretch where he's hitting three pointers, he's averaging a couple three pointers per game after 10 games,
2: then I'll buy it. But right now I'm not buying that he's a knockdown three point shooter. There's nothing like talking about a player that's been in the league for at least 10 years and dropping the old decade-ago argument. You don't get to say that too often. Right now, looking at his season averages, it's pretty funny to see you know 0. 0.4, 0. 0.2, 0. 0.3, and then 4.0 in that three-pointers-made category. That's obviously going to change, but I tell you what, uh, just like you with Miles Turner, I'm looking at this Bulls team in a new light, um, and I'm willing to change my opinion right off the bat after just one game. Ben, you got anything to say about that?
1: Yeah, the one thing we, we can't we can't be including Rondo in that. I mean, he went one for nine from the field, one for two from three. I mean, that's that's not enough from him. I mean, maybe Wade will be you know he he kind of has to extend his range with that team, obviously. Uh, but yeah, we definitely can't include Rondo in that. I mean, honestly, the Bulls are a team I'd, I'd rather not watch on any given night. Um, but that's yeah, that's just me. I I'm a, I'm a Bulls hater for sure.
2: That's fair. We're we're a hater of a lot of things here. What about Anthony Davis going for 50 points, Shannon? Did that surprise you at all? I don't think it does because you have some stock in him, but I mean, 50 points is is quite a bit. Still, it wasn't even enough to get the win, and my argument against him has been that guy can do everything you want, but for whatever reason, the teams that he's on and the teams that he leads just doesn't quite get over the hump in actually getting the win when it's all said and done. Box score, amazing, yeah. He has no help.
3: I mean, absolutely no help. That, that roster is horrible. I think Elvin Gentry's a horrible coach. I think he was a bad hire at the time. But, I mean, am I surprised? No. When healthy, Anthony Davis, I mean, even last year, it, it, when he was healthy, he was an amazing fantasy player. It's the same thing this season. If he plays 75 games, he's going to be a top three fantasy guy. There's no, I don't think you'll find too many people who will argue that Um, he dropped a 50 point 15 rebound game against the Pistons last season. So it's not, it's not terribly surprising. It's just the fact that we're coming off the off season. He had another injury plagued year. Uh, All the hype, the hype behind him last year was he's going to be a legit MVP guy going to carry his team to the playoffs that didn't happen. So the hype wasn't there this year and that's why it caught everyone off guard. Um, But it was, Truly historical performance, and I mean, if you own him, you just got to
2: keep your fingers crossed that he stays healthy. Yep, fair enough. That's about all you can do at this point. Last thing I want to talk about, specifically when we're looking at the last three days. Last night, the Clippers got a really nice and solid win in Portland against the Trailblazers. This is an up-and-butting Trailblazers team, but the Clippers have been disrespected uh, really across all fronts. They take care of business, get a solid win. The problem here, though, Ben, is that... Clippers have been there, done that. They just haven't gotten over the hump when it comes to the playoffs. In fact, they've had a terrible playoff history over the past few years. So, a solid win in Portland. They've kind of maintained their top three team in the West status, as for now, after the first game of the season at least. But does the regular season even really matter that much for this particular team?
1: Um, I definitely think it's got to be confidence-wise. Yeah, you got you got to win a bunch of games. Um What is Chris Paul is famous because he hasn't reached the Western Conference finals. Is that what it is? Um, Yeah, I think they got to win as many games as possible, get get the best seed possible in that Western Conference. I mean, it's the toughest conference, obviously. Um, So, yeah, I I think they got to win as many games as possible, get that higher seed, Um, try not to run into the Spurs and Warriors early, Um, come the playoffs, and just hope that, um, yeah, that they have plenty of confidence going into the playoffs.
2: Right, yeah. A good season obviously will help them roll into the playoffs with confidence. They've said it. They think they can beat any other team. And I think they could have a shot against the Warriors. Injuries obviously played a major factor last year. Um, So I... I'm actually to the point where I think I'm kind of rooting for them. They're they're turning into an underdog to me, Shannon. Where you know the Warriors, the t- the tide is turning on them. Public perception of them is they're slowly but surely turning into a villainous team. Whereas somebody like the Clippers, you know they they've gotten really close, haven't got there. I think in you know national audience might actually, when it comes down to it, um, if these teams play in the Western Conference playoffs at some point, Clippers might actually have the national vote here. Uh, I, I I'm
3: not there yet. I don't fully agree with that. Um, I'll ask you again in five months. Okay. I I do. I think the Clippers. The regular season does matter to them. Um, they've averaged about fifty five wins per game over the past four years since Chris Paul came on board. That's. I don't think that's going to do it this year. I think they're going to try to push to get one of those top two seeds in the West. I don't think they will do it. I don't think they're going to finish above the Spurs or the Warriors. But I can see them challenging 60 wins just because they
2: want to try to get that home court advantage. They'll need it to get by the second round. Yeah, I agree. They need every little bit they can get. Um, all right. We still got a lot to get to. So let's uh, keep it moving here. We're going to look at early season pickups now. Obviously, most teams have only played one game, but there's a little bit to look at that has already changed since uh, games, the regular season games began. Most strikingly to me is Jonathan Simmons. He came out and was essentially the X-factor in the Spurs getting that victory over the Warriors. He had 20, 20 points against the Warriors. However, last night he followed up that very solid performance with only 5 points in Sacramento. What is your perception on Jonathan Simmons as of right now, Ben? Um, is he somebody that they should target, or is this just kind of your classic bench Spurs player, comes out, looks absolutely amazing, but really he's just operating well within a system, a system that is also going to hurt him potentially down the road because uh,
1: they use everybody? Uh, I have a tough time. I mean Maybe temporarily, yeah, I think he's, he's worth a look with Danny Green um still sidelined kyle anderson didn't do much in that first game um which gave you know simmons the opportunity to um you know come in and have yeah, that huge play against curry with the swat um yes. the stuff over Javale at the end of the game which is always great to see Javale on the, the opposite end of one <laughs> of those um, but yeah temporarily he could he could be worth a look but i think in the long term he's not going to be um much of a keep.
3: now i I think the the key point here with Simmons is looking at the second game because the first game against the Warriors was actually a blowout. Um I mean 10 minutes left to go in the game it was like 20 point well, right wasn't it they had this first had a 20 point lead for like the entire second half. Yeah but half. the thing
2: about the Warriors is know, if you're up by 15 you they're you always used to have, within range. But the, but pop traded out Pau Gasol and went with Simmons down the stretch. And oh, he, he went with Simmons over not only Pau Gasol, but also Kyle Anderson. Kyle Anderson started this yep. game. So I think, and he did it at pivotal times. And so I, I know it was a blowout, but I mean, it was essential to have him on the court in order to strategically match up against that Warriors team. Okay. That okay. said, now, against the Sacramento, they didn't need him at all. They rolled with Paul, Powell more, more often. Right. And even, even Pau Gasol, which
3: we didn't talk about this much yet. I mean, he's played 39 minutes, total minutes, in the first two games. That's concerning. Um, and I think we'll get to that with the next guy we discuss. But with with Simmons, the big thing, Danny Green's, Danny Green's out. He missed the first two games. When Danny Green returns, a lot of this playing time Simmons is getting, I think it— I think it vanishes. Simmons was not in the playoff rotation for the Spurs last year. Kyle Anderson's next in line. I know he hasn't played too well the first couple of games, but I put him above Simmons. I'm just not buying that Simmons is going to be an impact guy for the Spurs this year. I I think it could happen, but I mean, it, it, to me, that means you know, like Manu Ginobili ends up his leg falls off, something along those lines. Right.
2: Yeah, another guy on the Spurs that if you're looking at player ratings, and if you're specifically targeting rebounds or blocks, you realize you really messed up in your draft or you're you're low there, somebody that you'll probably be looking over is Dwayne Dedman, who on ESPN Leagues and probably likely elsewhere as well, he's less than a owned. I'm expecting that to spike over the next week or two because over those first two games, he has a total of 15 rebounds and 6 blocks. Granted, he doesn't play a lot of minutes, but as a backup center, um, you know, as a rotation guy, if he's going to come in and get you those rebounds and get you those blocks in a deeper league, if you're low there, might not be a bad guy to look at. Do you think he's going to be able to sustain that though, Ben, as somebody who's not going to be guaranteed even 10 minutes each game moving forward?
1: Uh, when it comes to the Spurs, um, it's tough to like either Gasol or Deadman. Um, it's going to be somewhat of a timeshare, I'm pretty sure. Um, he's not going to have four blocks a game, that's for sure. Uh, that's 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 on the high end, I think, for him. You know, rebounds, he, he could be a steady source of that, but I think, um, in general, I, I'm not too sold on him. Um, I, I just don't think he's going to get the minutes. Um, to you know, to perform that's you know that he's worthy of a pickup.
2: A couple other guys that we could look at as well, Shannon. Some some guys I've heard you talk about uh, in the past. Joe Johnson, forty eight percent on Yahoo. Obviously, he he um, is seeing some added time. You would think with Gordon Hayward out and Tim Frazier, sixty five percent on Yahoo. If you could only choose one. Which one would you go with? Because obviously both of these guys have somewhat of an expiration date on how much value they're going to have.
3: Yeah, definitely an expiration date for both. I mean, Joe Johnson had such a huge first game of the season. I think people are going to look at that and probably overreact a little bit. Um, don't expect him to do that too often. Uh, he hasn't done that the past couple years. Uh, Tim Frazier would be the guy if I'm picking one between those two. Uh once Drew Holiday comes back, Frazier pretty much has no value. But as we saw with a guy like Ish Smith on that team early last year, you know if you're if you're the starting point guard for the Pelicans, you're getting a lot of minutes. You can be a productive fantasy player. I don't believe Tim Frazier's an extraordinary talent, but I do think he's going to get the minutes for at least the next few weeks or however
2: long Drew Holiday is out. Uh, so I would pick him up. Michael Kidd Gilchrist, sixty-five percent on Yahoo. He's going to be a great source of rebounds. He sees so many minutes per game; it's just really hard for him not uh, to rack up quite a bit of assists. Field goal percentage has been kind of his issue in the past. He has a really awfully, like, a terrible-looking shot. But that said, he actually has improved it. The ball actually going in the hoop. The 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 shot itself still looks disgusting. I think he's one of those guys, you can put him in the same category uh, a couple years ago, as somebody like Damari Carroll. Nobody really knows who this guy is, but he's seeing a ton of minutes. He's essentially the backbone of an entire team. Um, And if you're on the court for a whole lot of minutes, you're going to rack up those stats one way or another. MKG, I think it's mostly because he's not really well-known, but would you compare him to somebody like a Damari Carroll, like we've seen in years past, where... Um, you know he's he really is contributing in every single category, uh, but nobody really knows who he is or what he's doing because he's not putting up a thirty point game at any point during the yeah,
3: season. Yeah, he's he definitely falls in that same category as a guy like Carroll. And I mean MKG, he missed a lot of time last season, um, but the, you know, the 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 Hornets coach loves him considers him the heart and soul of the team. Um, he's going to get tons of run, as you mentioned. He's not competing against guys like Gerald Henderson for minutes anymore. Uh, and with with MKG getting you know 32 to 35 minutes a game, I wouldn't expect him to post 20-point efforts like he did in the season opener. He's not going to do that a ton, but he will get decent rebound numbers, and he'll get defensive stats. So he's a solid player who's going to contribute across the board that I would pick up. He's owned in 65% of Yahoo leagues right now. I think that should probably be closer to 80%. Most 12 team leagues are going to want to have them owned and
2: possibly some 10 team leagues. Yeah, fair enough. Taj Gibson won over the starting job in Chicago. Only issue here, though, Ben, is Nikola Miritich. Those two were, were contending for each other or contending for the starting power forward spot. Now, in the preseason, again, remember, we're talking about this Bulls team. We were saying they have no outside shooters. And we were just, how do you play Taj Gibson? Because he doesn't help you in that pursuit. Now, knowing what we think we might know, and that Wade is going to be shooting threes, Butler's going to be shooting threes. You you scoffed at me a little bit with Rondo, but at least he's going to be attempting more threes than maybe traditionally he does. Do you think that Gibson has a lot more valuable, a lot more value? Excuse me, because his spot at power forward is a little more locked in because maybe the Bulls don't need that three point shooting from Miritich or even somebody like Doug McDermott like we thought they did.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, I, Gibson's obviously the the better board uh, boards guy. Um, you know, if the, you got Wade and these guys clanking shots all day, uh, I'd rather have Gibson cleaning up the boards than Miritich. Um But I mean, they, they're both going to get a lot of time. Um, uh, I, I do feel like they, they'll keep Gibson for for quite a while in there. Um, you know, Mirtich is the higher upside. Of, you know, uh, he's younger, um, he can shoot the ball, and he had an ugly showing. You know, one for th- six from uh, from deep um, in that first game. Um, but I do think they're going to keep Gibson in there, and I, I do like him for both points and boards. Um, you know, clean. He'll clean it up pretty well, down there, Shannon, I'll
2: come back to you on this next question. JJ Berea, four percent owned in ESPN. ESPN tends to have lower ownership rates than Yahoo, so we're switching back and forth. But just know that ESPN is traditionally a little bit lower. Ty Lawson, fourteen percent on ESPN. Going forward this season, who has more value, Berea or Lawson? And let me break it down real quick. Barea is with that, you could even call it a four-headed monster. The point guards, Darren Williams, uh, Berea, of course, Devin Harris, who's been out, and Seth Curry. Rick Carlisle has traditionally rotated those guys quite a bit, and so you never know which one is going to strike. In Sacramento, Ty Lawson is, is getting starters minutes right now because Darren Collison is out on that suspension. So two guys that don't necessarily have a clear path for the rest of the season to starters minutes, um, somewhat of a similar situation. So if you had to pick one moving forward for the rest of the season to hit your wagon to, which one would it be? It's a tough call, and it's close. I, I do believe it's a coin flip. You could go either way.
3: I'm going Ty Lawson, though, um, and that's mainly just I don't – I think Darren Collison has had his opportunity many times, and he's never really seized it. Um, and Ty Lawson's played well the first couple of games of the season. He hasn't blown, blown the doors off, but he's doing okay. So I, I'm going to take the chance that Ty Lawson's able to maybe, possibly, hold on to that starting job even after Callison returns.
2: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more because we know what J.J. Barea is going to do in that system. We've seen it a few years over and over. He's going to have a couple flashes in the pan where you say, oh, we've got to grab him, and then he'll go dormant for ten for 10 games because you have other guys to rely on. With Ty Lawson, like you said, Darren Collinson is not a shoe in to start for the remainder of the year. And let me remind you, we're only three years removed from Ty Lawson averaging 15 points per game and 10 assists per game. I mean, obviously this guy fell off a little bit, but all that potential is still right there. I mean, he was among, just a
3: few years ago, he was one of the best young point guards in the league. Uh, He was in that discussion with guys like John Wall. So... I don't, I don't think we should sleep on Ty Lawson. I'm not getting too excited about him either because, um, again, once Collison returns, it's get, the situation gets muddled. But I do like him more than Berea. Berea,
2: if Darren Williams misses time, that's when I want to scoop up Berea. Fair enough. Last guy I want to talk on here, Ben, I'll let you comment and chime in on this one. Your boy, Roy Hibbert, 29-year-old. If you didn't know where he's playing these days, he's playing out in Charlotte. Had a great first game. Technically, he is a bench player, but he played 32 minutes in Milwaukee. 15 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, which blows my mind, 5
1: blocks. Is that sustainable? I think he's done enough at this point to keep um, the starter's job for the time being. Um, Long term, you have to think Cody Zeller, um, the younger guy. He's going to eventually. I I feel like he'll eventually take over at center. Um, He was playing the Bucks. Let's be honest they don't they don't have (laughs) they don't got much in in the post. Um, So I I think that's it's a bit excessive. That I mean it's it's a bit inflated. I think uh, is what I'm looking for there. I think his numbers were a little inflated to begin with. yeah, in the short term, yes, I like where he is, where he's at. He's done enough, like I said, to keep that spot. Um, but I think Zeller is going to eventually. You know, he's coming off a bruised knee um, uh, in the preseason, so um, I think once he's you know back to full strength and uh, in, on a full minutes load, I think he'll be the better uh, option for them. Shannon, we were just talking about Ty Lawson, and three years ago, he was
2: considered one of the best point guards in the league. A few years ago, we were saying this about Roy Hibbert as well. And if you look, Tyler Zeller is the younger guy, but there's no reason that Hibbert couldn't potentially start over him. So we looked at a point guard situation with Ty Lawson. Now we're kind of looking at a center situation. Do we have that same upside with Hibbert that we we see right now currently in Lawson?
3: I'm not as high on Hibbert, and this this exact same reasoning could be used for Ty Lawson, uh, but just what we saw to Hibbert last year in Los Angeles when he basically had he, he could do whatever he wanted, he should have been able to carve out 32 minutes on a horrible Lakers team. He wasn't productive at all. He's got he's got a better coach this year, so I think that that is very helpful. Um, my big question mark with Roy Hibbert is what happens when Frank Kaminsky comes back. He missed the season opener. So if Kaminsky and Zeller are both healthy, how much run is Hibbert getting? Hibbert got like 32 minutes that first game, looked really good. I'm considering picking up Hibbert in a couple, a couple leagues, actually. And that, that brings me to the question, do I pick up Roy Hibbert, Dwayne Dedman, or your
2: boy, Justin Hamilton? Justin Hamilton for me all the way. <laughs> I I See, I know he's been tossed around this league. He's, he's a journeyman, and he's only in his third Technically, he's in his third year, but he provides a lot of value at power forward. He does so much more for them than Trevor Booker can because Trevor Booker shoots the three a little bit. Justin Hamilton is like a 6'10, 6'11 guy shooting the three at times. You could, you know, you, you stretch the court when Brooke Lopez can stay down low. By the way, Justin Hamilton played more minutes than Brooke Lopez There's- did in the first game it When Justin Hamilton, yes, he's like go look. I know you don't know his name. I know nobody knows his name, and I and I scooped him up in all my leagues because nobody knows who he is. His first game, he got a double double with a few threes and a block or two. When he's on the court, he is one of the best per thirty six minute guys in the entire league. We're talking like John Henson esque, but imagine if John Henson was a deadly three point shooter. Okay, I know you love just Justin Hamilton. I'll admit, like I, I knew the name.
3: I, I knew that he's been in the NBA. When I saw him for the first time this week, I was like, Oh, that doesn't look anything like the Justin Hamilton I yeah. pictured in my head. But here's my problem with any anyone from the Nets team in that first game against Boston was a blowout. So you had guys like Hamilton and Joe Harris put up really nice lines, play over twenty minutes, and it's only because it's a blowout. I mean I, I believe the Nets coach even came out and said like he relied on his reserves more because the game was so lopsided. Those guys aren't going to get that many minutes a game. Even Hamilton, the only reason why he played more than Brooke Lopez is because the game was out of hand.
2: That's fair. I'm willing to admit it. I, I might be too high on Justin Hamilton, but I tell you what, he's the type of guy, if, if like John Henson, if he plays even only 20 minutes per game, I think he has relevancy maybe even in 14-team leagues because... Just his per thirty six numbers are just off the charts. All over, all over blocks, three pointers, rebounds. In twenty five minutes, Shannon, he had nineteen points, ten rebounds, two assists, three three pointers, and he did that while shooting fifty eight percent. I mean, that's a really good line. Obviously, I could be reading too much into just one
3: game. I, I will give you this: when you talked up Justin Hamilton in the preseason, I thought you were crazy. Now,
2: I'm interested in looking into him more. That's all. It's good enough for me. I'll take that as a personal victory. Let's move on to Friday's DFS slate. We've got 8 games on this slate. We'll specifically be looking at FanDuel pricing, the highest over/under. Um that's always an important thing to consider. 221 for your Houston and playing in Dallas, lowest over/under. Not surprisingly, it's Charlotte taking on Miami in Miami. Shannon how much do you read into over-unders? Quite a bit, not much. Now, the general strategy behind this is, you know, higher over-under, there's more opportunity for points. There's more opportunity for missed shots, even because the, the tempo is faster. So therefore, you have just more stuff happening. Right, Less ball right. handling, more stuff happening. That's good for fantasy.
3: No, I definitely look into it. And it, it depends on how you're comparing. You know, let's take the Thursday slate, for instance. I'm looking at the Washington Atlanta it was at Atlanta who that, Yep. yeah Washington Atlanta game and then the Portland Clippers game and the difference in over under was like two points or a point and a half it was so essentially it was a wash yeah so I'm not gonna let those two points really factor into my decision much if I like Damian Lillard more than John Wall I'm gonna play Damian Lillard now when it's over 20 points like the instances between the highest and lowest tonight i'm gonna target the higher one um you know this just makes me it, it, it makes me realize avoid avoid the hornet's heat game a little bit target guys from the rockets mavs game um which everyone should always be targeting games uh with the rockets involved this yes. year i mean it's going to be insane their defense is gonna probably going to be the worst defense in the league and their offense might be the highest scoring or second highest scoring offense in the league so you're going to want to target the Rockets all season
2: whether it's them or their opponent we'll keep it with you Shannon a guy you've been you were on all preseason long Um, solid first showing. playing tonight D'Angelo Russell you have a lot of stock in him all over the place I understand you already used him in DFS play as well are you going to be using him tonight not tonight. I don't
3: think he's a horrible pick, but I just I like too many other options at point guard. Um, so if you're big on D'Angelo Russell, it's still a good value. I just don't. He's actually a little bit cheaper tonight than he was on, on uh, Tuesday as well, or I'm sorry, Wednesday. But I I just I don't like the matchup in Utah as much as I liked his matchup against the Rockets on Wednesday.
2: Ben, Anthony Davis coming off that 50 point game. Obviously he's stuffed the box score even more just in those 50 points, but he's going up against golden state, a team that is going to be looking for revenge. And, you know, they're going to be coming out with vengeance. Are you going to be using Anthony Davis? Because obviously he's going to be one of the higher priced players on the slate tonight.
1: Uh, I mean, I like him. It's hard not to like him anywhere, uh, any day. I mean, he's upward near 11,000. Um, which is tough, um, but it, yeah, I think we'll see a lot of them at center. I think with that up paced tempo, I think we'll see Terrence Jones at power forward, him at center. I think um, he should have they should have a chance to. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be pretty up pace. So I think um, he'll have he'll, he'll uh, yeah he'll have a bunch of chances offensively. Um, you know uh, that uh, Zaza looked pretty poor for the Warriors. Yeah. Um, so I think he'll get a heavy dose of Draymond Green in there. Um, and he can go to work on Draymond Green. That's
2: see the the knock on this Warriors team and it kind of somewhat came to fruition against the Spurs is when it comes down to it, you know, if you put a couple big guys in there who can legitimately rebound and on offense they can spread the court a little bit like LaMarcus Aldridge and Pau Gasol can, then you've got something to work with. You've got kind of an in to attack this Warriors team and Anthony Davis is essentially the perfect player to do that because Anthony Davis versus Draymond Green. I mean, give me Anthony Davis all day long, Shannon. I realized they had
3: Andrew Bogut last year, so that could have been uh, part, partly factored in here. But Anthony Davis did not play well against Golden State last year. So I'm I'm going to let that factor into my decision somewhat, especially when you're talking about such a high-dollar player. I mean, you're only going to be able to get one maybe two if you go with the stars and scrubs of those ten thousand dollar plus guys in your lineup. With the matchup against Golden State, I'm just not in love with it. You know, last year Anthony Davis averaged twenty two points, eleven rebounds. That sounds really good, but he only shot thirty one percent against against the Warriors. So I want I want to target him when I much more confident in the matchup. I just I don't think he's going to go off for another 59 and 16
2: effort. Yeah, especially again, um, not even revenge factor, but the Warriors just have a a point to prove now coming off that first game. Um, There are only three players at at least $10,000 or more, Ben. One of those players and the most expensive player tonight is Russell Westbrook at 12,000. Now you look, that's a a $1,200 difference in Davis and Westbrook, but Westbrook is going up against Phoenix, and Phoenix is maybe shown, obviously only one game to go off, they might be one of the worst teams in the league, like legitimately bottom one or two. Um, do you like Westbrook $1,200 more than you would like Anthony Davis if you can only choose one of those three guys, James Harden being the other, at $11,300 um, over that 10 k benchmark?
1: It's, it's ugly in Phoenix, that's for sure. Um, you know, Westbrook, a uh, constant triple-double threat, um the only thing I worry about there is maybe I mean the Thunder did struggle against uh the Sixers obviously but maybe that game gets a little out of hand and they pull Westbrook early um but at the, at the same time you know his like I said his triple double threat I, it's almost hard not to go with him against such a, a poor showing team this early in the season uh over Davis um who's going up against an opponent like uh the Warriors obviously
2: yeah it's kind of interesting I Obviously, they're going to look to rest Russell Westbrook as much as possible, but... You know, as a Thunder fan, maybe call me a pessimist, but I don't know if this team is really good enough to blow out anybody this year. If they can blow out anybody, it would be a team like Phoenix. And being that the season is so early, I see that argument, but I don't know. I just don't think the the Thunder is quite they, that good to they factor that They can not
3: blow out the Sixers know, in game exactly. one. I so, know, exactly, exactly. Uh, and, and that's one of the teams challenging Phoenix for worst team in the league.
2: But on the whole, Ben brought up a good point. How much does that factor into your consideration where it, it maybe does. the Warriors blow out the Pelicans? And they rest Anthony Davis. I mean, that's something that you always have to be aware of. And that's something, I mean, in
3: in the two games against Golden State last year, Davis only played 33 minutes a game. That's, if it's a competitive game, he's probably playing 38 minutes. Um, Now, I I don't dislike Westbrook tonight. I don't, I would use him over Anthony Davis, but if you're going with one of those three expensive options, it's got to be James Harden and it's because of that over under that we discussed. I mean that over under is gigantic. It's probably going to be a competitive game. He, Mike D'Antoni came out the other day and said he wants James Harden to average 15 assists a game. And I know it sounds absurd. It sounds absolutely absurd. But then he goes out and he does he drops 17 dimes in game <laughs> 1. So I it's just hard for me to go with anyone other than James Harden like if there's someone more expensive than James Harden I find that that's hard for me to believe I don't think that's that should be the case
2: all right so let's break it down to some specific players that you guys will be targeting Ben we'll start with you understand that you'll be using one of your shooting guard spots on Evan Fournier tonight
1: yeah I definitely like Fournier he's pretty affordable at 5800 um He's going up against a Detroit defense that looked pretty, uh, pretty poor against the Raptors. I hate to say that in front of Shannon. Um, uh, but, yeah, he, I mean, he got off a team high 19 shots in the opener. He had 20 points. Um, he got Drummond clogging the lane for Vucevic and, uh, and Gordon. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of the offense is going to run through Fournier. Um, and he, I, I think he's definitely a very affordable play.
3: I concur. He's a nice play, 5,800. I, I I mean, I had him in my lineup originally, and then I switched off, and I went with one of my value picks at, at shooting guard, which is Rodney Hood. He's 5,700. I have that $100 bumper right now, so if I changed my mind, I would could flip back to Fournier. but I like Rodney Hood more. It's because of some of the reasons we discussed already. Uh, Gordon Hayward's out. Uh, uh, Derek Favors is questionable, so... I expect Hood to have a big load, shoulder big load on offense. He had 26 points and played 38 minutes in game one against Portland. And, and then also the matchup is there for Hood. It's at home and it's against the Lakers. There are two teams that I am targeting uh, any any night in DFS. I'm targeting against the Lakers and I'm targeting against the Rockets. So with Hood playing against the Lakers, to me, he's, he's a
2: no-brainer pick. So... Essentially, what you're saying is you're not going to go with a combination of Hood and Fournier because you'd be giving up on somebody like Harden or Because, or because I've got road. James
3: Harden, 17 assists in my lineup
2: at yeah. the other shooting guard
3: spot. But yeah. I mean, anyone who goes with Hood, Fournier has two discount, essentially, I mean, they're
2: both under 6K, so two discount shooting guards. I'm not going to fault you. I think that's a good approach. I'm going to let you guys give most of the picks, but I'm, I'm just looking at this now and I, I'm seeing Klay Thompson at $6,100 for a team that anybody can break out on any one night, and the rest of the guys on that team will be willing to feed that person. I, I think if Klay if Thompson's going to be hovering around low, six, low 6K this season, I'll probably be going with him quite often because if he broke out for 40 points in a game, nobody would be surprised and he would far outpay what he's worth at this point at $6,100. Um, but at point guard, Shannon, looks like you're going to pay up. Not even really pay up. We haven't even mentioned Steph Curry is on this slate. He didn't meet that ten thousand dollar benchmark, which he basically did at every single point last season. He's sitting there at nine thousand dollars, and it sounds like you're going to take a bite. Yeah, Steph Curry at nine thousand just seems like a discount. I mean, this is
3: one of the one of the few guys who averaged you know right around fifty fantasy points a game last season. I'm assuming the price drop. Um, is just because of the first game he had thirty-two fantasy points on FanDuel, uh, twenty-six points overall, only three rebounds, four assists, no no defensive stats to speak of, and of course there's no three-point incentive on FanDuel, so that that hurts him a little bit on this site compared to others. Um, but nine thousand for a guy who averaged close to fifty fantasy points a game last season uh, is is a, a huge discount. I mean we we've already discussed the guys who are eleven and twelve thousand. Um, he has. That kind of 50, 60 point upside, as just the same as Westbrook and Harden. So I love Curry at
2: 9000 and I love the matchup against the Pelicans. So on your guys' list, we have four remaining point guards. Ben, you have three of those remaining point guards in George Hill, Tim Frazier, and Tyler Johnson. You can only pick a couple. Um, but obviously there's quite a few guys you like on this slate. How are you gonna decide between those three? Or are you gonna look to pair one of those three I just mentioned with somebody like a Curry or like a Westbrook?
1: Um of the group you know between Hill, Frazier and Johnson, I mean it's tough not to look at Hill first. Um like Shannon was just talking about with uh that Lakers defense who gave up, you know, seventy one points to uh the Rockets in the first half the other night. Um, I I like George Hill against him he he also like Fournier he he got off a team high like 18 shots or something like that Um, you know 19 points two rebounds six assists in that game Uh, but he played a full 39 minutes too so I think um, I think he's gonna get a lot of run especially against that Lakers defense that uh that seemed to struggle. Shannon that fourth point guard that I mentioned
2: is Jeremy Lin and you have him here listed as a value play at $6,200.
3: Yeah, I mean one one thing I really like about Jeremy Lin tonight is I think he's going to be uh, his ownership percentage is going to drop some. Yeah, everyone will look at I mean, he had just a, an amazing preseason. Um, him, him and Lopez are really one two scoring punch for the Nets this year. Um, but then he yeah, Lin had a, a somewhat of a downer season debut: eighteen points, three rebounds, three assists. Only played twenty eight minutes, but the reason was the matchup. It was he played against Boston. That's a tough team to play against, especially for a backcourt, um, and and the game wasn't close. So I expect Lynn to see 30, 32 to 35 minutes tonight, uh, You know, score between 20, 25 points, and hand out a, five, six assists. So 6,200, I love that value for him. Um, those other options, George Hill, I agree, great option. Tim Frazier, I like a lot as well. Tyler Johnson, I'm not going to get behind yet because he's a backup, technically, um, but he
2: has that kind of upside yeah definitely i mean being that his price is so low it doesn't take much for him to earn what you paid for him um so that's somebody to give a look at if, if you find yourself strapped for cash tyler johnson and point guard ben i agree is is somebody to ch- take a look at what is he like 4100 bucks something like that yeah
1: 40 4,
2: yeah 4600 still underneath that five thousand dollar benchmark typically what i like to do especially at the beginning of the season is just look at players in that six thousand dollar range because often you have players that are gonna vault up higher and their their price is gonna be a lot higher as the season goes along. You have, you know, FanDuel's trying to figure out the pricing structure for this particular iteration of the NBA season as well. So I like to stuff my lineup with as many six thousand dollar players as I can. Now looking at center on FanDuel, you only get one. You don't get two like the other spots here. Shannon, it looks like you're going to be going with Miles Turner, who's in that $6,000 price range, like I was talking about, $6,900, obviously on the high side a bit. I would be afraid that his ownership is going to be far too high for there to be any return or any upside with going with him. Again, some of the other centers that you could be looking at would be Hassan Whiteside, Nikola Vucevic, Andre Drummond, Brook Lopez, who I know you love, R- Rudy Gobert, and then you have Turner. So obviously he, you know, if he returns even three quarters of what he gave you at the first time out, it might not matter because everybody's going to own him. I'm okay. If he's 100% owned in the tournaments I plan, I don't care. I'm well, fine with that. Well, yeah, a hundred
3: percent it's a wash anyway. But Okay, if he's if he's if he's let's say fifty or sixty percent owned, which it's feasible, that can happen. Um, I'm okay with that. Just because his price point's so low. If I was spending eight, nine thousand dollars on him, I would I would feel differently about it. But at sixty nine hundred, I mean, he was he scored over sixty fantasy points on FanDuel on Wednesday night. And I don't expect him to do that again, but I expect him to be 35, 40, 35 to forty five points. If he does that, then he's giving me better value than a guy, pretty much any of the guys who are more expensive than him. There are five centers more expensive than him. I like all of them, but I project them all for that same range as him. So I'm going to go with the cheaper option, open up more cash for me in other spots. Plus the fact that I'm going with like a James Harden, I need, and Steph Curry, I need to open up that cash. I need that extra money
2: that's fair enough sometimes you just have to go with the chalk play and assume that you're strategically going to use the remaining money smarter than the rest of the pool or more strategically than the rest of the pool the situation that I I like to compare it to if if you're just coming over to NBA for the first time is Todd Gurley last year where he was so low when you were playing everybody you just had to roll with him and then it was the chalk play but you just had to because you were really just not smart not to and I think we're kind of getting in that territory with Miles Turner His price will adjust accordingly, but I think you kind of just plug him in and then it really comes down to you against the other competition outside of the center spot because I'm assuming he's going to be over 50% owned in pretty much every type of contest you could potentially play in on FanDuel tonight. That's going to do it for us here on this Friday NBA podcast. Thanks so much to Ben Miller for making his first appearance. I'm sure you'll hear him again down the line. K, train Kreitz not with us on this Friday, but again, you're going to hear that whistle throughout the season. So for Shannon, for Ben, thanks so much for joining us. Nick Whalen and I will be back on Monday.